This is K-12 Tech Talk. K-12 Tech Talk. The podcast by K-12 Techs for K-12 Techs. Real conversations, real arguments, and real banter on trending K-12 technology topics and issues. Live from the somethingcool.com studios, this is the K-12 Tech Talk podcast. I am Josh. With me tonight is Mark. Good evening. And Chris is absent. This is episode 123, 123 of the K-12 Tech Talk podcast. Um, why, is, I, why is Chris absent again? Well, you know, he really didn't tell us tonight why he was absent, but we do know that his new network got installed this week. Um, he's got new switches and he is now in charge of their network. So you can draw a conclusion as to why Chris might not be here tonight. His internet's down. It might be his internet. It might be he's got a loop. You never know. Actually, I did talk to him earlier. Everything is fine. Um, okay. He's been put on leave by Sue again. <laughs> um, no. So look, actually, that that talks about one of our sponsors real quick. Extreme Networks. Uh, Dominic over at Extreme Networks. Uh, they are putting switching and gear and wireless infrastructure in most of the major sports stadiums. And they're the kind of their tag right now is if you want a network as stable as pick your favorite NFL team or major league baseball team, uh, then buy extreme networks. And Chris is going to soon realize that he now has, I guess I need to silence my phone. He now has one of uh, a very stable network, just as stable as uh, major league baseball and NFL stadium. So welcome to the club, Chris. Uh, and if you want to know more about extreme networks, reach out to Dominic Mayer and uh, he can get you some information about extreme networks. We'll put his email address in the show notes if you are interested. So it's been kind of a busy week for vulnerabilities and, uh, I guess some bad things happen. It started out Sunday. So I got back in town. It was, I guess it was not really a secret that I was out of town. Oh uh, and, yeah. What'd you, yes. How'd you think of our episode? And, and Mark, thank you very much for the birds of prey flashcards that I now have. <laughs> um, uh, I will give you a birds of Missouri flashcards whenever you come to Missouri. Um, did, did, serious question. Did you think that was a Honest seagull? to God. So here's the thing. I'm sitting there with my family, my mom and dad, my wife, my son. We're sitting there eating, and there's all these dang pigeons in the rafters. And I, I was drinking, as you do on vacation. And I look over, and I see that sign that says, Warning, seagulls are aggressive. Don't feed them. And I start laughing, and I point at the sign. And then it, we're all looking up at these pigeons up in the rafters. So that's I took the picture and sent it to you. I was not thinking. I I don't think I thought that was a seagull, uh, but honestly, I didn't put two two together until you text back and said, uh, that's a pigeon. Um, but yes, I do know what seagulls okay, and okay. pigeons right. you redeemed like. yourself. Uh, but so we got, we got home Saturday, Sunday morning. I'm, I'm catching up on things, work email, reading some websites and uh, I saw a headline about Fortinet and the Fortigate having an SSL VPN vulnerability, an RCE attack. So um, I text our um, our point of contact at Fortinet, Chris Illingworth, one of the guys who's been with us for quite a while. 
I said, hey, Chris, is this uh, FortiGate thing that I'm reading on bleeping computer legit? Do I need to worry about this? And he's like, yeah, there was a uh, firmware update released last Friday. Uh, go ahead and apply it when you can get when you get a chance. So I went into work Sunday afternoon and and applied it real quick. And, you know, Fortinet is one of our sponsors on the show. Um, and and what I'm about to say, you might say, oh, he's just he's just saying that because Fortinet's a sponsor. But in, in all honesty, Fortinet, I think, is one of the companies out on the market that they are very transparent when it comes to having issues like this and vulnerabilities that are that are known in the wild that they try and get in front of them and release a firmware patch as quickly as possible. And they they go out of their way to kind of inform their user base of the issue. Um, I don't think all manufacturers do that. So I, I think that's a, that's a nice trend. I know they catch some flack. Oh, it's, what's the what's the monthly Fortinet vulnerability, which uh, that you know, tongue in cheek, whatever. But I I would rather have a vendor that is it saying, hey, we have this problem, we have this fix. This is how you fix it, than one that tries to hide it. So, um, and I think there was a article that came out. I don't know. I don't remember if it was CISA or who it was that said that they were seeing it uh, leveraged in the wild. The the vulnerability, the RCE attack yeah. that that was being uh, that had come out. So. If you have a FortiGate and you're leveraging SSL VPN, patch your stuff. Uh, I think, um, I guess it was, it's 7.2.5, I think, and 7.0.12 are the newest uh, firmware revisions. So uh, if you're running a FortiNet, get that patched. Um, is, it, is it called a FortiFix? You know what? If it's not, Mark... It should be. And I saw on LinkedIn the other day, their marketing person made a made a post that they have a new product line or a new offering called Fortiflex. And I mm. wanted to comment so terribly bad because Chris Illingworth liked it or commented on it. So that's why it showed up in my LinkedIn feed. I wanted to comment so bad. When is the Forta potty coming? But I didn't. I didn't. I was good. <laughs> um, but yeah, they've got Fortiflex. I like the idea of a Fortifix, Mark. I think they could that that could be their new thing, Fortifix. Mm. So Fortinet, if you're listening, we we know you probably are. Uh Fortifix. When you when you issue these these alerts, these bulletins, apply the Fortifix. I That's like right. it. Okay. What what else what else for vulnerabilities? I think it was a pretty busy well, week. This move it uh transfer service. I you know, I still don't quite understand what move it is it's it's i i'm reading it it's like it sounds like ftp kind of but it's file transfer service um they've got a, a major vulnerability and i i read this afternoon johns hopkins university has fallen for this the state of missouri where where chris and i are um the state of missouri actually released a statement that they had fallen they had fallen victim to this mm. um so and it's very widespread i think the there was there was something on Twitter where like the count of public entities was like over 40 so far that have been hit with this or have admitted to being hit with this. Okay. And about 38 minutes ago, CISA released a statement, an alert um, saying that, that progress progress software has released a security advisory for privileged escalation vulnerability in move it transfer, a managed file transfer software. Uh, threat actor has exploited this vulnerability to take control of of systems. CISA urges users and organizations to review the advisory and follow the mitigation steps. 
Um, we will link this in the show notes, but if you use move it, you, you better probably, move it. You better move it and apply the Fortifix. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be one of those nights, man. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll link the, the notes to this. Mark, I, we had talked about this a little bit today. You were starting to see some traction online about it. You guys don't, uh, do you, do you know of anybody that's using it? No, I don't. I mean, I've seen the headlines and stuff, but personally, I don't know anybody that uses it. Yeah, I was surprised to see John Hopkins. But it's, you know, it's one of those things that I think that's one of the trends that we're going to be seeing now is yeah. it's instead of a direct attack, it's going to be that kind of that supply supply chain attack yeah. type yeah. environment yeah. where and, and, you know, that was kind of the Kaseya thing that Chris dealt with a couple of years ago. It wasn't necessarily that clients were being hit, but the underlying tool that was being used was hit. Right. So then that made X number of people vulnerable. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I like um, the site down detector. Yeah, uh, because you can see all the different sites that are down. It's a really kind of quick and easy way of seeing if is this site down or this or is there like an underlying provider that like if it's an AWS issue, yeah. you can see that there's multiple. Does uh, that happen? What? Monday, Tuesday, AWS East one went down and like half the Internet died. Oh, yeah, hmm, it, was, it was I think it was Monday evening. Yes, okay. I like down detector, too. But, you know, you kind of it's crowdsourced. So you kind of got to take it. Yeah, with a grain yeah, of salt. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so, right. Mark, you, one of the items you wanted to talk about tonight was pass keys. Yeah, well, so we've been exploring pass keys. Uh, it is a thing that has come out very strong from some of the major providers. Microsoft's come out with with their pass key and Google's come out with their pass key uh, on World Password Day, I think is the, the official holiday. Uh, they all came out with kind of a joint announcement about it. And you had mentioned earlier this week too, that, hey, you're exploring pass keys. Because uh, I think it was about maybe midweek last week where Google announced that pass keys are now available for uh, enterprise uh, or, or organizations, whereas previously it had been available on personal accounts about a month right. ago. So have you tried it? I set it up on my personal account. I have not set it up on my uh, enterprise on any of my enterprise accounts yet. I, you know, it's, it's one of those things <clears throat> I, I'm at home. I run on a, on a PC, but I haven't really signed into another device yet with my personal account to know mm -hmm. if the, how the pass key works. And I already have a UB key on all of my accounts. So some of that stuff I think is a little bit duplicated. Okay. Um, so it, it, Mark, if I'm someone that has never heard of the term passkey or how it kind of integrates in this realm of uh, multi-factor authentication or that enhanced security on an account, explain to me, Mark, what a passkey does for me. So I think in order to explain how passkeys work, you have to kind of go through the other options for MFA. And okay. uh, CISA or CISA. As, SZA, as, as get Josh it right. Our, friend, it. our friends there at SZA. Uh, they they have a very good fact sheet about implementing phishing resistance M phishing resistant MFA. Uh, so it's one thing to roll out MFA, but there are different types of MFA, or they kind of have three or four different categories of MFA, and some of them are more secure than others. So here's where I'll give kind of my my personal thoughts on this right now. More than uh, anything else, K-12 was really focused on on MFA and implementing MFA for staff and, and really trying to, as a couple episodes, we talked about students and exploring ways for students. 
there are four layers of MFA that that CISA, 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 is, CISA whatever, um, kind of talks about, and they're really trying to push you to be as more as 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 secure as you possibly can. I do think right now in in K twelve, everybody needs to push for some level of yeah. of MFA. Yep. Um, so you know, I don't want anything that I'm going to say here to say, well, we just rolled out SMS. MFA and now you're telling me that, that that's wrong. It's that's not wrong. It's it's right and there're just layers and there's there's some that are more secure than others. And and you would figure out what's right for your environment and uh and what's th- right for your people. I I think there's an important important point there too that MS, M, SMS MFA. Boy, that's kind of hard to spit out. SMS MFA. Yeah. is is right for a certain population of, of users. Yep. There, there are, there is a population of users, maybe your superintendent, those higher value people that could be targeted of a SMS type attack or, you know, yeah. you, and, and you may get into those in a second where they might be more uh, well suited for either an authentication code or a pass key. So yes. Um, yep. Yeah. Keep, keep on going, Mark. Yeah. So let's jump into SMS. Uh, or voice MFA. That's the most common thing you see out there. You see it on bank accounts. You see it on on district accounts and Google accounts and Microsoft Office accounts. It's the most common thing that more and more people are familiar with and they're starting to get comfortable with. So the idea of an SMS or a voice uh, MFA is that when you want to log into a site, you have a phone number that's registered and it's going to send you a code either through a text message or it's going to call you and, and verbally read it out. Now, Josh, how can that be exploited? Uh, so what's the SMS, the um, SIM SIM swapping? Yes. Um, where a bad guy can more or less take over your phone number on their phone with a SIM card. Yeah, now um, SIM, SIM swapping, I've, I've heard less and less about it in recent years. But, you know, years ago, it was very, very common where somebody would actually fish your telecom provider and then get them to switch you up to a new phone, maybe yeah. call as you and 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 kind of pretend to be you, and then they swap that phone out, uh, and then all of a sudden they now have your phone number, log in with your username and password, and then sim that SMS code comes to their phone instead of yours. Yep. So, so that is, is yeah. Go ahead. It is a threat, but you know, in the grand scheme of things, it, how how much of a threat? It's hard to say. But but again, I come back to. I think there are subsets of users or a population, a subpopulation of users that might need that next level of protection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I I mean, SMS and voice um, uh, MFA is still better than no MFA. So I don't want to say that this is the least secure. It really is. It is a phenomenally, phenomenally much larger uh, uh, security measure than than just having a standard password. The the next layer up that CISA talks about is an app based app based authenticator. So instead of getting a text message or a voice, you have a mobile app uh, that is going to push a command. So if you have Authenticator on your phone uh, or or Microsoft's uh, version, or you Authy log in. Or, yeah, yeah, Authy. I think uh, it's going to say, "Hey, you're trying to log in from you know New York, New York. Is this you?" And then you have an option that says yes or no. I'm going to disagree with you. When I when I think authenticator and authy and I can't remember what Microsoft's is. Mm-hmm. That's the code generator one. 
Right. We're going to get there. Oh, oh. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's, that's oh, jumping stealing ahead. your thunder. Stealing your thunder. But but no, it's a very, very important one. In in some of these apps, you can have a yes or a no from yeah. an app. Google, uh, Gmail. The Gmail G- app is a great yeah. example of that. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Now, the, the it's a step above because you can't swap out a SIM. It's an app that's logged into your account on your device. Um, but... What what some of the concerns about that one is that it's it's prone to user error, and so if you imagine if you get a, a notification that says, "Hey, you've logged in," is this you? You gotta make sure you push the right button because if you push the yes and it's really not you, that person just gets in. And so what they're saying now is that you're starting to see uh, more and more attackers pushing out. Um, let's just say I'm gonna I'm gonna try a hundred different usernames and passwords there's a pretty good chance that one person might just by default say, yes, that's me uh, and let you in. Well, uh, yeah. and the other, the other vulnerability with it too, is they might try it over and over and over and over again on one account. Right. So that it just annoys the hell out of you on your phone and you, you, what, what's my phone doing? I'm okay, fine. I'll hit yes. Okay. Now they're in. Yeah. And if you think about the phrase I've heard is MFA fatigue, you, you get MFA for just about everything. And if you're somebody who's logging into different sites all day long, you may not be thinking and you may just click yes and allow somebody into your account. So <laughs> that 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 next layer up after an SMS is this app-based app authentication that is just a simple yes or no. It's funny, uh, MFA fatigue. We, we're doing, we're still doing security camera rollouts and I, we have to sign into the web console to add the camera and give it a name and all this stuff. And and we have to MFA to get into that console. It's like, Oh my gosh, we have to MFA into this thing again. It's just funny to hear us in my office complain about that. Yep. Now the next layer up that kind of third layer up that you just described earlier was that app based authentication, but with a code. So that's the one that you're traditionally uh, familiar with where you, you open up an app, and it has a code that cycles through every 10 or 15 seconds. Uh, that is not prone to a SIM attack or an, an SMS attack. It's resistant to push bombing uh, or, or push fatigue because you're not just clicking a yes or no. You have to manually type in a, a, a number. Um, and so it's a little bit more secure. It's it's not the the gold standard, though, because there is still the concern that if you are... Uh, on the phone with somebody who you think is their bank or your bank and they call and say, okay, I'm going to log in or I'm going to authenticate you. I just need you to authenticate this number and you verbally say the number over the phone, that person can still get in. So they could be on the other side of the world and you can still provide them with that, that token, that one-time password, that number match, that kind of thing. So that app based one-time password kind of disposable password is the the second most secure way. Um, but and it is still better than than everything else before, but there's still, you know, there's still issues where you can uh you can get attacked. Yep. That top layer, uh the very, very top one is what uh CISA, CISA talks about as being phishing resistant MFA. And this is an MFA where you cannot authenticate unless you're physically located at your computer, you're physically there. So this is where pass keys come into play. This is where uh, PKI PKI cards come in. If you've ever been in the room with somebody who 
uh, has a very, very high level of security clearance, they're going to pull out not just a token, but they're going to pull out a card and slide that into their computer. And that, that, that we just had this conversation with somebody the other day and they, they opened up their car, their wallet, popped a card into their, their computer and they're off and running. I, I so was just going to ask you if you've been around somebody that has that card, Mark. I, I have, and I, I cannot say who, but I can just say that this guide that I'm looking at is very close to the person <laughs> who provided <laughs> us with this card, this, uh, that idea. So, uh, the, where pass keys are going though, and you've got to think about from a, uh, not from a convenience perspective, but from a technology perspective, a pass key, if you set up a pass key, either through one password, uh, or through Microsoft or Google solution, you're, you're authenticating the device. Maybe it's your laptop with a fingerprint or a cell phone with a finger, fingerprint scanner or a facial recognition scanner. And then that device is going to be Bluetooth connected to your laptop, or it's going to be actually your laptop. So if you have a laptop with a fingerprint sensor on there, you can use that as your pass key and you have to physically, and that's the, that's the key thing. You're physically authenticating into a device that allows you into that website. So you cannot authenticate somebody that is on the other side of the world. You have to be in the room with that second factor. You have to be within 15, 20 feet away from your computer in order for that pass key to actually say to your computer, yep, this is the right person. Go ahead and let them in. So yeah. this is that FIDO web authentication, public key infrastructure based. That's what, what CISA is referring to as phishing resistant MFA. And, and we're, and again, we come back, I come back to the statement that there, I guarantee you, no matter the organization, there are a handful of people in your organization that that level of protection is probably the level of protection they need. Probably your, your yeah. domain admin level accounts. Yeah. And, you know, that's the first thing that comes to mind. Somebody that pays the bills, that, that kind of stuff. Yeah, um, and they even say in their guide too, we strongly urge system admins and other high value targets to implement uh, phishing resistant MFA. It's just, this isn't your, your normal right now. Right. But, you know, Google is rolling out pass keys to everybody. It's available on personal and, uh, and enterprise devices. Microsoft's rolled out theirs. One password is coming out. Uh, they have it in their beta and it's coming out, uh, full this summer. And, and here's the thing that like, I know this is controversial to say it's super convenient. It is so much easier uh, and if you haven't enabled pass keys, I recommend trying it out for a day or two because you are now authenticating. There is no password. You are, right. It's not a second step. You, you, this FIDO key replaces your password. So the, it adds convenience. The average user thinks this is super convenient because I'm not entering a password anymore. It just needs me to hit my finger on the fingerprint scanner or hold my phone up to my face. They think it's a convenience factor. In reality, this is the highest level of MFA that you can implement. Yeah. So if you are a Google admin account or if you are a Google admin, dang it, Google Workspace school, give it a try. Enable it. Try it on a couple of accounts. See what happens. Yeah. Um, real quick, let's talk about Visor, one of our sponsors. Uh, shout out to them this month. Visor integrates with Google admin and your assist to keep ac an accurate inventory of all your assets. Maintain visibility of who has what device, track repairs, costs, funding sources, warranties, device end of life, and streamline one-to-one -one checkout and check-ins 
with barcodes. I know that's a hot topic. Check ins, Mark. You're getting close to the end of your school year, so that's going to be a topic for you guys soon. Um, yeah, but it's I, I see I follow a couple of people on Twitter, and they all they've been uh, talking about how end of the year device check in, and it's always one of those things. Oh, it's a headache. So uh, give give Visor check out Visor V I Z Z not an S Z. OR and I'm still waiting for the visor visor to make an appearance. Maybe at ISTE. You never know. Um, when's your when's your last year in summer school right now? When's your last day of summer school? Our last day of summer school is the end of the month. So uh, I think June 29th. Okay. So we're we're getting close. We're getting real close to the end of wow. summer school. It's funny, man. We have nearly 50% of our student population at school for summer school. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Is it kids. all like uh, enrichment stuff or are you guys um, just, just failing kids left and right? No, they no we're not up. failing half of our <laughs> student population. No, most of it's uh, enrichment. The the only really the only classes that are um, kind of makeup classes are the, you know, those kids that need to retake classes, the high school mm-hmm. level, high school or middle school level. The most yeah. most of it's enrichment at the lower grade levels and they get to do f- really fun stuff. Really fun stuff like, you know, they're going to the park and going to a movie and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, it's not your typical school by any stretch of the imagination. Cool. Um, so one of the things that that keeps coming up in discussion and this came up on K-12 Tech Pro today, um, Google Mail app and third party mail app access. Um, so I think. It's one of those things of if if you really want to go in that that mindset of you need to kind of crank down mail access on where it's accessible and how it's accessible, and you want to verify who that user identity in a in a meaningful way. I think third party mail access is one of the things that that needs to be looked at. Um, and invariably, we have a conversation with with an employee when they start or they onboard about getting their mail on their phone. And invariably, the conversation revolves around, oh, I'm using my mail app on the phone, iPhone. Um, and and we always try to push people, no, let, let's not put that in the mail app. Let's download the real Gmail app and get it installed with the supported app. Yeah. Um, so, Mark, how, how do you view that? Do you view using the mail app or built-in mail app, third-party mail app, whatever you want to call it, on iPhone mail app? I know Samsung has their own mail app. Um, how do you see that as an issue? Cause it's, it's likely connecting on the back end and with IMAP, right? I don't think they use pop anymore. Um, no, no pop is, if you, if you still have pop turned on, just turn it off. There's no reason for yeah. anybody to be connected over pop, but IMAP is the most common protocol used to connect. Uh, I, I will go back to when I, I started 10 years ago in this role and that's when we were slowly migrating or not slowly. We we're quickly migrating to a cloud-based. We were, I remember this meeting super, super clear as day. We were, we were in like a two or three day kickoff at headquarters for Google. And one, we we're going through all the rapid fire decisions to make in the technical configuration. And one of them was IMAP and POP. Mm. And at the time we were exchange we were moving to Google and I have some very high level execs who were insistent that they're going to keep their exchange or their, oh, um, wow. what was the the client at the time? It wasn't Outlook, Outlook but it was oh. uh, entourage, it was something else. 
Uh, but they were insistent they're going to keep on it, keep it. And I said, okay, we got to we got to keep IMAP turned on. And I remember this clear as day when we broke for lunch. They pulled me out of the meeting, pulled me into a separate conversation. It was like three of us, and they said, you need to you need to turn IMAP off. Oh. And it was the one the one like configuration decision where they were very insistent that we turn off IMAP. Wait, who was very insistent? Uh, Google. Oh, when you yeah. said headquarters, I thought you meant your district headquarters. No. Oh, no. Well, we yeah, we're at Google headquarters. <laughs> and they and they pulled me aside and told me to turn off IMAP and I said, "Wow." I'm, I'm sorry. I'm going to date myself here. I'm brand new to the role. I can't do this. I'll piss off all the execs. And and so we left it on. And I will say I regret that decision very, very heavily. (laughs) Uh, And we were just we were just meeting a couple days ago about like, what's the pathway to turn off IMAP? And uh, we were even pulling reports Interesting of uh, of who's using IMAP to connect, and it's a high number of people yeah. that are using these phone apps. And and I, you know, it, it's no one's fault. I think, let I'll just uh, my personal opinion here. I think you see that predominantly with with iPhone users because it's easy. Yeah. You know, yeah. the, the, there's a built-in mail app. Oh, I'm going to click it. Oh, I'm going to hit add account. Yep, oh, no big deal. Easy peasy. It's done. Um, so I yes, there's a there's a little conversation to be had there. Um, but I, I really think if you're going to that, we need to secure our mail and, and maybe you're being required to have multi-factor authentication from your insurance company. Yep. You I think you have to go that step of disabling IMAP and definitely pop. If you like Mark said, if you haven't disabled pop already, you need to be disabling pop. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, and at the time, you know, web apps we're just not as good. They, yeah. they, they were not as robust. There was, there was no greater value in enforcing your users over the web app, over the, the thick clients, uh, thick clients or thin clients. Um, and so it was just like, why, why would I do that to my users and force them to use a subpar mail yeah. experience when they can use a, a, a mail app that's changed a lot. The web clients are, in my opinion, far sufficient or superior to what you get in a, an email client. Um, but flipping that switch is hard. Yeah. Because you're, you're going to have people that are ingrained. Yeah. I keep coming back to the phone part of it. Well, I, I go to this one app for all my mail and my phone. Yeah. And now, now my work mail isn't there. Well, one, that's probably a good thing. Um, you know, two, let's, let's seriously migrate over there. So yeah, that's, I think that's definitely a discussion to be had, especially if you're, going to the steps of uh, trying to secure your mail. Oh, Mark, I have a funny story. So I get back from vacation and one of the applications, you know, we've, we've had this big thing in Missouri with multi-factor authentication. Um, one of the software companies that's used pretty widely in Missouri, won't say who, won't say what, um, that did not support MFA this week released a software packet, a uh, software update that enables the feature set for MFA. So the amount of schools whining and complaining about not having MFA on this certain software package worked, and now they support multi-factor authentication. So whining and complaining that let this be a lesson, whining and complaining does pay off. So, but let me ask you this though, and this this happened to us where we had another provider, same thing. They they rolled out MFA. And they used some like third party as their MFA. And hmm. so now 
I feel like I I'm a little bit fatigued where I have, I have MFA installed on and or enabled on everything I possibly can. Yeah. But that means I have like three or four different MFA options for the different apps that I use. So was it an MFA that you're like, great, this Uh, integrates quickly with what we're already doing? Or is it like, Oh, this, this random app that everybody now needs to download. It's not app based. Um, I'll just leave it at that. It, it's not app based, but to, yeah, to your point, (laughs) (laughs) to your point, anything that requires an app, if it's the, you know, the rotating number apps or whatever, if it's got the QR code to add that into Google authenticator, I'm putting it in Google, like my list in Google authenticator, you can scroll several times in my list in Google authenticator now. Um, so if it, if, It'll support that. That's where it's going. I don't care what the application is. Okay. Well, that's um, good then. Yeah. So I have uh, actually quick. Let's talk about managed methods real quick. This will be our last ad for the episode. So managed methods. It's that wonderful time of the year, not Christmas, but budget budget cycle. I know our budget cycle. Uh, it's June. It's the end of the year. You get to do all of your renewals. Favorite thing, right? You forget about one, and then they get nasty mail or they turn off a service. Um, but one of those renewals you might have might be your Google Workspace for Education renewal. Managed Methods will has a uh, a document that'll help you determine what the right fit of the different flavors of Google Workspace for Education, what that right fit or what that right flavor is for you. So, uh, and they'll also give you some tips of basic settings to check out security settings and, and student safety monitoring considerations. Um, to make sure that you're not overlook, overlooking a setting somewhere. So if this sounds interesting to you, or if your Google Workspace for Education renewal is coming up and you want some uh, th- another set of eyes to look at it and make sure you're not overspending, get a hold of Managed Methods, managedmethods.com. Are they going to tell um, you to turn off IMAP? And they'll probably tell you to turn off IMAP. No. Um, so do it, Mark. Um, so when you were at Google headquarters, was... Larry and Sergey there were they, uh, they were in the bathroom, but yeah, ah, you never so, got yeah. to meet them. Yeah. Okay. No, this was, um, we're on the East coast. So it was the Massachusetts Google yeah. headquarters, not the main one in California. So we started our fiber project this week. You know, Chris is redoing his physical switches. We started redoing our fiber and we thought we had this plan. We had directional boring companies show up today with their machine and I'm all excited but everything marked with dig right of where all the gas lines were, all the water lines were. We had our private fiber marked. Um, and they're they're trying to expose some of that stuff in the ground so they know where it is so they can bring the, the auger thing up to it and make sure they don't hit it. And in that process, they call me and they're like, hey, we want you to come look at this. We found something um, and we're not real sure what it is. So I go, they're you know, two football fields away. So I go walking up there. It's like 95 degrees today in Missouri. I'm sweating like a pig. Um, I go up there and they had exposed two sets of conduit about four foot down on the ground. One blue conduit, one orange conduit. And we didn't know where they ran. Well, we, they spent a long time. Like we had no, no one knew this stuff was here. Long story short, they are two empty conduits that run from our middle school to we think the intermediate building. We haven't traced it out completely. So instead of, and it just happens to go the exact path that they were going to bore today. So instead of directional boring, 
they are going to uh, just use those two empty conduits to accomplish the same thing without spending all that time with the machine that directional bores. Yeah, it's pretty wild. And no one knows. My best guess is that this was put in the ground 20 to 25 years ago, if not longer than that. Um, And what really surprised me, what surprised me more than anything was that it wasn't collapsed. Like they were able to get a pull, t- a pull string through it. They were able to get a fish tape through it. So it'll, it'll accept fiber. Um, I, I really expected to, that it would be collapsed at some, somewhere along the way. So hmm. yeah, you never know when you're going to find random conduit in your ground. It's like the half dark fiber, but without the fiber. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, congrats. See, that we're all my schools, our schools are all within walking distance of each other. So it's nice um, to be able to have that dark fiber, privately owned dark fiber. Wow. So do you get the money back from the cost savings of not having to bore? We're going to have that discussion. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> the, the owner, uh, he called me a couple different times today and I'm, and one of the times he's like, yeah, if that conduit's good and it's empty the whole way, we're, we're just going to use that. That's plan a now. Right. And I'm like, yeah, that's plan a. Cause you save time and money. Right. He's like, yeah, right, yeah, well, okay. Uh-oh. <laughs> so we'll see. He's coming down tomorrow to to check it all out tomorrow morning, bright and early. So we'll we'll uh, I'll plant that seed again and see what happens. <laughs> yeah, you should you should approach him and say, I've talked to the superintendent. I've talked to the teachers. They're, They're so super excited, excited <laughs> that the money we're saving from not having a board yeah. is going to be used for, and yeah, then just right. name something. Yeah, a new drone for my office. Or just say like YubiKeys and now we can go MFA. Yeah. Oh, so you're saying we can't do MFA? Oh, yeah. Wow. See, I'm not that big of a jerk, Mark. No drones, please. Please. Um, so something else, you know, we talked about K-12 Tech Pro a little bit ago. One of the things I noticed, I know the the Reddit um, going dark stuff, their you know, protest, whatever. So uh, if you want to leave Reddit or you're upset about what they're doing to those third party API companies, uh, K12, check out K12 Tech Pro, check out the community, join over there. There's, there are sponsored memberships from companies. Uh, so if, if you can't pay or your district doesn't want to pay for the membership fee, those companies will pay for you. Don't be afraid to click that button. Um, and you can join over there. There's, uh, that's where I said, we've got some, I, I got one of the talking points tonight from there. Uh, there's quite a community over there that's willing to help each other out with different ideas, questions, problems. And they've got quite a quite a uh, wide variety of people. Memberships are several international, several Canada, Canadian folks. I think there's a gentleman from New Zealand, a gentleman from Japan, um, and a good a good number of states. I think 40 states is what Chris said, I think. So yeah, go over, check out k12techpro.com and hit the community button. Um, I guess Midwest Tech Talk is coming up in about a month, just over a month. Mark is making the trek to Missouri to do the keynote. Yep. Uh, so check out MidwestTechTalk.com to uh, find out more information. I know Chris would love to have you. Uh, Chris, you will see Chris and the gang there. He is pumping up. There's quite a lot of swag that they're giving out at that conference. Oh, yeah. He, they they do amazing jobs with swag. Yes. I've gotten a sneak peek at some of the stuff. Oh, yes, I know. Yes. No, you don't. No, I know. Yeah, right. We'll, uh huh. Josh will be making an appearance at the conference. This is really exciting. One way or another, yes. One way or the other, Josh will be there. Yes. Um, 
Mark, any closing thoughts tonight? No, nah, I got nothing. You got nothing? I'm out. Right. I'm out of thoughts. This is a pretty good conversation. We had a lot of stuff to talk about. This yeah. is what happens when we don't have Chris here. Exactly. Um, let's see. Your school year is about over, right? Yeah, we got one more week. And then do you go straight into summer school? I forget. We've I know we've talked about this. Yeah, we go towards like, you know, late June is when our school year start, or ends. And then okay. we have 4th of July. And then we'll pick up right after the 4th okay. of July. All right, cool. All right. So if you enjoy this podcast, please visit our sponsors. Send them a message. Let them know that you heard about them from us. Uh, check out our uh, sister companies, K-12 Tech Pro, Midwest Tech Talk. And if you enjoy this content, please share it with your friends, share it with your state organizations, um, share it with Google, that, you know, whoever, whoever's willing to listen, share it with your uh, teammates. If you need to bang home the idea of, of pass keys, send that information to your, to your teammates and let them listen what a pass key will do for them. Uh, thanks for listening. That was episode 123. We'll see you next week. The views and opinions expressed on the K-12 Tech Talk podcast are the personal opinions of Josh, Chris, and Mark, and do not represent the views or opinions of our sponsors or other organizations that we're affiliated with. The material information presented here is for general information and entertainment purposes only. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.